We have been talking about being generous. We've been talking about faith since last May. And now this month I've been talking about faith to be generous. And we talked about tithing three Sundays ago. Last Sunday I talked about how to be generous in general. I need you to know that everything I said last week about being generous, it was real and true, but I learned it from my wife and her family. I do not come by generosity naturally. Uh, I was raised very, very poor, and my family holds on to money with a clenched fist. And we keep a record of everything, and we do everything as cheap as possible. When I started dating Sarah and uh, we got married, I watched in awe. I'd never known anybody like her parents and uh, other members in her family that were so generous. I just didn't even know how to think the way they thought about giving their stuff away to take care of people. So over 20 years of being married to her, I've learned to be generous. But and So everything I said last week was true, but it was all from Sarah. Today what I want to tell you is how how to be stingy. Because I know that. I know how to be a tightwad. I know how to be stingy. I know how to be selfish and greedy. So if you want to disobey God and make him unhappy, I'm here to tell you this morning how to do that. And I'm sure it won't be any of you. It'll be somebody you know. Wink wink. Uh you know, this I'm surely this will not apply to any of you. We're just going to do it, and, and maybe uh, you'll get something out of it. So let's start in Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. And Proverbs thirteen seven. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. So I used those two verses last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, you, you heard those. The translation that I used last Sunday says, there is one who gives away their wealth, yet grows richer. And there is another who is stingy and tight, yet grows more poor. Solomon says, I see there's this pattern that generous people tend, in general, to get wealthier. And stingy, selfish people tend to get poorer in the long term. So if you weren't here last Sunday, you can go online and listen to what I talked about generosity. But We looked at verse after verse after verse where God says the more generous you are, the more you will increase. And the tighter and more selfish and greedy you are, the poorer you will get. Just as generosity in the kingdom of heaven leads to increasing wealth, selfishness leads to poverty. There are two ways for us to be selfish. One is I have to take, I have to get, I have to amass, I have to save, I have to work the system, I have to work a job, I have to work a, the angle, I have to play the game, I have to work my con to get what I want to get. And the other is way we can be selfish is hoarding. I have to keep everything I have. I cannot part with it. I can't give it away. I can't even use it. Somebody who's thinking, what do I get out of this situation? And how can I keep what I have um, is greedy. It's selfish. Whether selfishness shows up as greed or hoarding, it comes from a poverty mindset. and has nothing to do with being rich or poor. Because there are rich people who are selfish and there are poor people who are selfish. Right? Being rich is not a sin. Being poor is not righteous. As a lot of you think... Being poor is being more righteous than being rich, and that's not true. 
What God is concerned about is generosity versus selfishness, not rich versus poor. I got three amens on that. All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep trying. Whether your selfishness shows up as greediness or hoarding, it's a poverty mindset. Well, you can be poor or rich, but the person believes that he or she will never have enough. I don't have enough, and I won't have enough, and I will always have to work to get by. I have to acquire and keep everything that I can, and I'm not going to share it because I worked for that. So the poverty-minded person might be rich, or they might be poor. They might be a tightwad, or they might be somebody that spends every dime they've got. They may work very hard, or they may be extremely lazy. They might be neat, or they might be messy. They might have very little, or they might have a lot. But the key is that they're selfish. And they believe in their heart and their mind, I don't have enough. I need more, and I'm not going to share what I have because I worked for it. That's the poverty-minded person that shows up as selfishness and greed. It has nothing to do with being rich or poor. See, the world would define somebody who's a tightwad and somebody who maxes out their credit card as the opposite. But God says they're both the same. You're both spending all you've got on yourself. It's the same sin. Hello? The, the world would say that the stingy person and the person who blows all their money are the opposites. But that's not true. They are the same. They're both sinning. They're both selfish. The generous person can be rich or poor, and the selfish person can be rich or poor. In the kingdom of heaven, God ranks the sin of hoarding wealth and the sin of blowing all your money as the same greed. You're just keeping it for yourself instead of being generous. The opposite of greed is generosity. The one who neither withholds their wealth nor spends it all on themselves, but they give freely to take care of the people around them and be a good friend. The key to the greedy person's thinking is fear and selfishness. I can't share... I have to save every dime for myself, or I have to spend every dime on myself. I won't give anything away. I can't give anything away because that's less for me. And if I donate or I give, I have to live without. The selfish person might have a pessimistic mindset that always plans on not having enough and always having to make do with a little, so I have to keep everything for myself. Or they could be a big dreamer who has great plans of getting really rich and large goals of accumulating wealth and building a retirement account and all that, so they're unwilling to be generous also. Or the selfish person is somebody who maxes out their credit cards and is so unmindful of the future, they just live in sort of a hand-to-mouth survival, and they never have anything to give away anyway because they blew it all. It's all the same sin. How they handle their money doesn't matter. It's the fact that they're either saving it or spending it all for themselves. I'm sure this is none of you. This is only me, okay? What I want to do this morning is to define how a greedy person thinks and how does a selfish person view money? How does a poverty-minded person uh, act with their, behave with their money? And everything I'm about to say, I had to personally unlearn. So not in any order, just some lessons that, and observations I have made as I have increased in generosity in God and faith to give. That the poverty-minded person will waste resources in order to save tiny amounts of money. Like, I will drive to Tri-Cities or Boise to go to Costco to buy six things and pretend that I'm saving money. If you're driving to Tri-Cities or, Co- or Boise to go to Home Depot and Costco, you're not saving any money. 
You're spending 30 to 50 bucks in gas, and some of you spend the night, and you go to a movie, and that's fine if you want to go to all that, but don't kid yourself that you're saving money. Hello? Don't drive all over town to four stores to find the cheapest thing and save two dimes. The person with a poverty mindset has to buy the cheapest thing all the time, and so they waste time and money looking for the cheapest thing. And they end up losing money. I've told you that some of you have heard this before, but my grandma uh, grew up in the Depression. She was one of uh, seven siblings. She had two brothers that never married, two bachelor brothers, my Uncle Dean and my Uncle Carl. And uh, they're my great uncles. They're my dad's uncles. Uh, my grandma's brothers. They, they never married, and they inherited the farmhouse where they grew up. And this farmhouse is your stereotypical picture, poster, magazine, uh, wraparound porch, white with black shutters, uh, two-story, three-story house with ban- a carved banister and carpentry all over it. It was beautiful. My Uncle Carl was a very neat guy. He kept everything painted. He mowed the grass. Every, all of the farm machinery was in a line when he parked it in the row for the night. My Uncle Dean was an absolute slob. And uh, it looked really good while Uncle Carl was alive. But when my Uncle Carl died when I was a kid, and Uncle Dean took over the farm, and it began to uh, fall apart. Uncle Dean, my, my grandma's family grew up in the Depression, and and I've heard that my grandma's family was the poorest of the poor of the poor during the Depression, and, and they were just happy to have food to eat. That deeply affected that generation's psyche. And some of you have grandparents that you, you know um, who grew up in the Depression, and, and you, know, you know that they save every Walmart sack and every twist tie and, and every dime. And uh, my Uncle Dean will not spend money. He saves every dime, and he will not spend anything. The man has well over a million dollars in the bank, but he goes to the city dump for his clothes. And he's a farmer, and in the winter he needs coveralls, and so he'll go to the dump and sort through the coveralls, and if one has a rip in the leg and one of them has a zipper that won't work, he just wears three pairs to cover his whole body, and he's fine. He's a farmer, he raises cows, and he will not spend money on a veterinarian. And the calves now, prices are high enough, calves are born worth like twelve or $1,400. And they will grow up to be worth $3,000 cows. But he won't spend $50 on a veterinarian, he just lets them die. I'm not going to spend money. I'm talking about people who are so poverty-minded they won't spend money and they end up poorer for it. Hello? This house that Uncle Dean inherited... His grandpa had bought that house standing in another farm, and with his three young daughters, he had disassembled that house. He had taken every board off and labeled it, written where it goes. He took every nail and straightened them out, put the whole thing in a wagon, hauled it six or eight miles away, and rebuilt it on the farm where it is now. This is Michael Dean's grandpa did this when, his, when Michael Dean's mom was a little girl, my great-grandma. And my Uncle Dean inherited this house, and when Uncle Carl died, it just began to fall apart. Well, the roof got a leak in it. I'm not spending any money on a roof. He just got up there with a paint can of tar, and he tarred that hole. And then another, it grew or it rotted out, and, and so then there's another one. Well, then we'll just nail a sheet of tin on the roof. And pretty soon, at, you know, by the time I was in high school, the roof was totally plastered and mismatched. Uh, sheets of tin and stop signs that he had swiped from the, the highway department, um, He's, he's really that cheap. And, and now that house is a crumbling, rotten, unpainted disaster that you wouldn't even know is a house. 
because he would not spend a few thousand dollars 20 years ago to put a roof on it, he lost a house worth a, probably a quarter million or more. Do you see the mindset that won't spend money so ends up poorer? That's what the Bible verse says. There is one who withholds more than he should and ends up poorer for it. These are the people who won't get insurance and end up with health problems or a car wreck and they're not covered. People who in our area don't buy snow tires. Well, that's an extra set of tires. It doesn't cost any more to alternate two sets of tires than it does to buy one and wear it out and buy a second one and wear it out. It doesn't cost any more. But you're a lot less likely to have a wreck in the winter if you're running snow tires. People skimp and save, I'm not going to buy snow tires, have a wreck, and your wreck costs you way more than the tires would. Hello? You see what I, the mindset I'm talking about? These people waste resources to save tiny amounts of money. Number two, a poverty-minded, selfish person is nitpicky about money and keeps a record. By keeping a record, I do not mean budgeting. Budgeting is important. Knowing where you're at and all that Dave Ramsey stuff, you know, knowing where you're at and what your spending plan is and how much you've got for the month, that's really important. What The record I'm talking about is People in pride or regret or anger are always thinking about how they got ripped off or what they lost or, dang, I missed that sale or that mechanic, he charged me $25 too much. Or last year I donated $100 to the church and now I'm a, they owe me something. That's the kind of record I'm talking about. You with me? Yeah? Okay, so I told you before years ago, some of you weren't here though, I stood in line at the Walmart customer service one time for nearly a half an hour behind a woman who was returning a goldfish. <laughs> they cost 44 cents. And it was a still alive even. I could understand you buy a goldfish, you get it home and it dies, maybe you want a refund or another goldfish. It was alive! In the same bag that they send them home in, you know. Well, who returns a goldfish? So there were three Walmart employees trying to figure out, it doesn't have a barcode on it, how do we return a goldfish? 44 cents! It costs more than 44 cents to drive to Walmart! So I'm like the third in line behind this woman, and it keeps going on and on, and the line keeps getting longer behind me. And I'm thinking after 10 or 15 minutes, like, surely this is going to end. I happily would have given her a dollar to go. Just leave, lady. I, go buy, I'll give you $3. Go buy six goldfish. Just leave. So Walmart is paying these people $10 an hour. Three of them work for almost a half an hour. Walmart probably paid $15 for her to return a 44-cent goldfish. That's some serious nitpicky record-keeping. Um, I'm going to get my 44 cents back. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what happened. And Eventually, she got it. they gave her 44 cents, and the rest of us got to move through the line. When Sarah and I were first married, weeks after our wedding, uh, she bought an angel food cake for $3, and I questioned her about it. And the cake went flying into the trash, and she went flying into the closet to cry. We were living on really tight funds, and uh, I didn't think it should have been spent, but she bought it in love, and generosity and joy and wanted to surprise me and have a treat and I sent her to the back of the closet to cry over three bucks a year and a half later we lived in Cove she bought a dollar salt and pepper shaker we already had salt and pepper pepper shakers that shook salt and pepper I thought they worked just fine so I questioned her about spending two dollars 
We ended up with a dent on the floor when she threw that salt shaker. I was really nitpicky about tiny amounts of money because that's how I grew up because we didn't have anything and you had to think about it. Again, I'm not talking about not budgeting. Uh, In marriage, you have to communicate about your expenses. It's one of the top reasons for divorce because one partner spins the other one into poverty and I'm not talking about that. I mean, I know there's there's people that have addictive spending problems and, and I'm not talking about that, but Two dollars and three dollars was was not a problem. And here's a lesson I learned about the way I think. Sarah and I went to a private Christian college, and it was very expensive. It was three times more than any state university at that time. By today's standards, it would be pretty cheap school. But 25 years ago, it was pretty expensive. So I went on a full scholarship. I would not have been able to afford it. And I fell in with a group of friends that were very rich kids from suburban Atlanta and the bigger cities around the south. We went to school in Arkansas. And like one of my friends, Shane, 1990 for his 16th birthday, his dad bought him a Mitsubishi 3000 GT. He wrecked it that night, and the next day his dad bought him another one. That's the kind of wealth that these kids had. This group of kids that I fell in with and tried to run with for a while was very, very rich. I was seriously blue-collar. I mean, I had to work... Uh, multiple days a week delivering pizza on campus to my friends who got to watch football, but I had to earn money. It was at least one semester I worked full-time while I went to school full-time. And I was not, at my, my parents weren't helping me much at all. I didn't have anything. And I, to, I thought so differently about money than my, my friends. We went to TGI Fridays or Applebee's or something for dinner, and there's a group of maybe eight or ten of us. I don't remember exactly. When we're around the table, and, and when my family went out to eat, We ordered water, and we got the cheapest thing on the menu, and we never got dessert. That's how we rolled. And so that's what I did when we got to Friday's or whatever it was, a Chili's or something, and and I ordered the cheeseburger and fries and water. And my friends got two drinks and whatever they wanted to order and desserts and appetizers. And, man, I've never had an appetizer until I was an adult. So... At the end of the meal, I went into a panic when my friends told the waitress, oh, just just give us one check and we'll just split it evenly. Because I had scrimped and ordered the cheapest thing and I am busting my butt to earn my $6.50 that my meal costs and they've just spent $14 or $18 on a meal, which sadly now wouldn't be very much, but back then it was quite a little bit. And, And... I was like, and I got really angry. I didn't say anything, but I was like, dang, I ordered cheap because I don't want to blow my money. So we did. We split the check evenly, and it cost me, I don't even remember, 12, 14 bucks when it would have been six or seven. And I said, I don't even remember what I said. I said something to one of the girls, Celeste, and I will never forget. It's a really important lesson. The look she gave me, she totally did not understand how I thought. And she was really disgusted by my cheapness. And it was embarrassing to me, but it was a good lesson that I hung out with those kids. I did not fit fit in with them, and those friendships did not continue. But it was a really good lesson for me to see how rich kids think. Because I didn't grow up that way. I know most of you did not grow up that way. But what they think is... Uh, dad's paying for it. There's more where that comes from. Hello? Now, I am not talking about being frivolous. 
or flippant in your spending, but we better have that attitude about our generosity. Dad's got it covered. There's more where that comes from. Hello? If you have the mindset that you are providing for you, that is the exact opposite of faith. I'm talking about faith for generosity. That if you think your income comes from your job and your sweat and your effort, which of course it does, but you are poverty-minded. You are thinking like a poor person. Instead, you have the richest dad in the universe. And I'm not talking about being flippant or frivolous and blowing all your money on yourself and thinking God will pay it all back. I'm talking about being generous, okay? I'm not saying can't have a nice life and spend nice things. God will provide those things too. But I'm just, at the moment, I'm talking about what a lesson I learned applying it to generosity, that it didn't even enter these kids' heads to limit themselves because dad's going to pay for it all. So it shouldn't enter our heads about taking care of others around us, being generous, giving to needs. It's like, hey, yeah, I'll give it totally because there's more where that came from. Dad's got it covered. Being rich is not a sin. There are rich people have mindsets that can be sinful, but poor people have mindsets that are very sinful and ungodly and faithless. I dare say that people who have more money have more faith about finances than poor people. Those of us who have been through a season in your life, or maybe it's your whole life, where you're really poor, you've picked up some really bad mindsets about money. That is not how God thinks. God is the God of the overflowing cup. Yes, rich people have some bad thoughts about money, but so do poor people, and generally that's the opposite kind of bad thoughts. But I wanted to keep a record. I wanted to be nitpicky. I wanted to count pennies. And these kids are just like, it's okay. Just split it evenly. It's only a couple bucks. What are you concerned about? And they were right. I was wrong. This is the kind of person who never forgets who they gave to or how much, and they keep a record, you know, the secret or maybe not so secret, of who is indebted to them. Again, I'm not talking about record keeping and budgeting. I'm talking about keeping a record in pride or regret or selfishness. The person who is selfish and greedy and poverty-minded buys the cheapest thing available, even if it's going to cost more in the long run, in repairs or lost time or whatever. They waste resources because of laziness. They don't harvest their garden. They won't pay to fix things. They don't work to fix things. They just throw them away. One of the greatest ways people blow their money because of laziness is your interest on your credit cards. Not only are you buying more than you can afford, you're paying more than it's worth. Doubly stupid. The person who's hoarding and greedy in a poverty mindset, hoards in fear of not having enough. I can't share because then I'm missing out on that. Or I can't give my things away even when I'm done with them. Well, it might have value someday. And you end up with a basement and an attic and a shop full of junk. And, you know, you guys, you know you have that thing in your shop somewhere. I know I've got three of them, but I can't find it, so I've got to go to the hardware store and buy another one. Amen about going to the hardware store? Uh-huh. <laughs> Any trip to the hardware store is good. 
You know, you, you go to can your pickles in the summer and you've got pickles from eight years ago. Give those things away. You don't need pickles from eight years ago. You know, it's not wrong to can your pickles and make your jelly, but if you've got more than you used, give it away. There's not going to be a world pickle shortage. Seriously. These people collect junk in a false sense of wealth. The more I have, the richer I am. Poverty and messiness go together. I don't really know why, but they do. It's not universally true. There can be some poor people that are neat, but not usually. Usually you just know by looking at their lawn or their front porch. Well, this might have value someday. No, just give it away or throw it away. The selfish person who has a poverty mindset has to have everything right now. I can't exercise self-control and wait till later because I want it now. And that shows up as credit card spending or overeating or impulse buying. Whatever it is, I, I have to have it now because there's never going to be a cheaper price on this thing. And you're probably right. The prices go up all the time. But, you know, <laughs> no, I have to have it now. I can't wait till supper to eat again. I have to eat all the food now. I have to buy all the stuff now. You know, and it's, it's destructive. It's, they're amassing stuff, which leads to poverty. Do you see how that applies to the scripture verse? They're making themselves rich by collecting stuff and buying stuff, but they end up in poverty. I know a couple who, the wife is an impulse purchaser, and it almost caused divorce because every time she goes to the mall, she'll come home with 15 shirts, and she knows it's sinful, And she cries about it, but then she's too embarrassed to return them. So her husband has to go and take them back. And it's really destructive to just, to overspend and to impulse buy. But purchasing makes us feel powerful because it is. To be able to buy something is fun and it feels good. And so we buy a bunch of little things rather than save our money for the big things we really want. The person who's greedy views money and wealth as a pie. That if you have a piece, that's one less for me. If you have some, then I have less. And if I give you some, then I have less. But God is the God of overflowing cup. My cup is full and I can give to you. And it doesn't lessen my cup in any way. Down in the south, where Sarah and I were for six years in Arkansas, it's the buckle of the Bible belt, and the church culture is a little different there than it is here. You may know that Oregon is the most secular, unchurched state in the nation. Uh, The way they view church and the way they do church in the south is much different. And when I first moved to Arkansas, I I saw in Little Rock, I saw these very large, very fancy, opulent churches brick buildings with classical architecture and gold chandeliers and bright red carpet and and you can just tell these are multiple million dollar buildings and I judged them I judged them harshly in my heart like that is sinful opulence that is spending money that could have been used for real ministry instead of show and uh, I did I thought that money should have been used for real ministry. That is a pie 
mentality instead of an overflowing cup mentality. And it's exactly what Judas said when Mary came to Jesus with the perfume that was worth a lot of money and she gave it to Jesus. And Judas said, we that, money, that should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. The fact that she did this for me does not hurt anybody else. Because Jesus has an overflowing cup mentality. Not a, well, since you spent that $2,000 on that chandelier, that's $2,000 less you've got to take care of the poor. No, you can do both with the God of the overflowing cup. I judged him harshly and I had Judas's mindset. In truth, it really is true that what we give to God increases. In 1 Kings 17, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath and dwell there. I have commanded a widow to, take, to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city, and indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She and her and her household ate for many days. The flour was never used up and the oil never ran dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. What she gave to God increased and she never ran out because she gave first. The boy with the fish and bread with Jesus, he gives up his lunch and what's it do? It increases and everybody gets lunch. Hello? Jesus gave away something. He's really famous for giving away something. What did he give away? Jesus. His life. Is he more or less alive now than he was at the cross? He is more alive. He went from being a penniless teacher to being the king of the universe. When he gave up his life, he got more life than he had before. Jesus said, if you give up your life you'll not have any left. No, no, I'm remembering that wrong. John's going to correct me. No, he said, if you give up your life, what? You will find it. And how much? Abundant life. You will have more after you give it away than before you give it away. This kind of person, though, is jealous and judgmental of others who have more. They believe that it's fair and just for others to provide for them. We live in a take from the rich and give to the poor world. But Jesus said, take from that man who's got one coin, take it away from him and give it to the guy with ten. And the disciples protested. Jesus, he's already got ten. This guy only has one. You're going to take the one away and give it to the guy with ten? Jesus said, yeah, because he's giving me a return on my investment. And this guy's doing nothing. Jesus' thinking is so backward from our world. It's us that has to have a mind change. No one is entitled to provision or welfare or donation or help from another person. Not entitlement. If you think somebody else owes you something, you're wrong. I'm not saying you can't receive it if you qualify. I'm saying you're not entitled to it. It's never. 
an entitlement that someone else owes you something. So when these people are Christians, they justify their stinginess by calling it stewardship. They won't give and they cling to their money and they buy cheap stuff and they donate used junk. They're convinced that being poor is more godly than being rich. And they believe that the church should be poor. And they see the lack of funding as the primary decision maker. About the church, I mean. Or even their own finances. Chris Valentin says, if you have a decision to make and you consult your wallet before you consult God, then your wallet is your God. Whatever makes your decisions is where your faith is, and where your faith is, that's your God. If you see in the Word of God what to do, and you hear the voice of God in your spirit telling you what to do, but then you say, I don't need to do it, or I'm not going to do it because I can't afford it, your wallet is your God. You are disobeying the real God, and you are obeying this one. Selfish, greedy people make those decisions, even as they claim to be Christians. And they judge anyone who spends more than them. Ultimately, what's happening when somebody won't be a giver is that they value money over relationship. I won't buy gifts. I won't give away. I won't take care of the poor. I won't take care of my church because I value my money more than I do the relationship with my family, my friends, the people in my community, my church, or whatever. It's possessions over people. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, These people have no friends or love or life about them because they don't share. Ultimately, the person who claims to be a Christian but isn't generous does not fear God. They honestly have convinced themselves that they expect God to understand why they don't need to obey. And they think God has given them a pass, and they don't need to expect to answer for their selfishness. It's a refusal to have faith. Regardless of what they claim or have convinced themselves, they don't actually believe that God is taking care of them, that he is the source of what they have. These Christians believe that they're responsible for themselves and God won't provide for them anymore if they give away what they have. Again, I'm sure this is none of you, it's just me. But Proverbs 11:24 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Proverbs 13, 7, there is one who makes himself rich, yet ends up with nothing. And there is one who makes himself poor, i.e. by giving it all away, yet has great riches. Anybody with me? Is anybody getting anything out of this? Am I the only one with a stingy heart? Don't think small, think large. Don't think stingy, think generous. Don't think limited, think unlimited. Don't count your pieces of pie, watch your cup overflow. Don't think, I don't have enough, think, there's more where that came from. Don't think decrease, think increase. Amen? Amen. Have a generous eye. If you weren't here last week, go online and listen to that one. Have a generous eye. Father, we love you. We want to be your children. We want to think like you. We want to think about money the way you do because we want to be holy and we want to have faith and we want to please you. And you are a generous father. You don't think about lack or limitation in any way. You think in faith, in unlimited 
provision, overflowing cup. There is always and more than enough. Lord, we want to love our neighbor. We want to take care of the poor. We want to be a good friend. We want to support the work of your ministry, your missionaries, and what you are doing all over the earth. Lord, forgive us for thinking small, for picking up ways and habits and thoughts that limit us to small thinking and tightwad giving. Lord, make our hearts large and our faith large so that we can be generous, so that you can increase us, so that we can give more. Make us conduits, Lord, for your provision and your work in the earth. Lord, a whole bunch of us have lived through some really tight times, and it was real, and we had to do it. But we picked up some habits and some thoughts that are not your ways. Lord, I ask you for renewed minds. I ask you to remove fear and replace it with faith. I ask you to remove selfishness and replace it with generosity. I ask you to open our closed hearts. Open them wide so that our hands may be open to all those around us who have need. Make us good friends and good givers. Make us like you. We love you. We praise you. I bless each person in this room, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do the work of Jesus Christ in every heart and every mind in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.